0: The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike's Archery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit Mike'sArchery.com and get your gear now.
1: Right here, right here, right here. Right here. Yeah, you want it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get a little excited when I'm posting things quickly, and I I just miss. You know, that. I find
0: on average. One typo in about 90% of your posts.
1: Between you and my wife, I can't do anything right.
0: I, look, I'm not extrapolating. I said, I was very specific talking about typos in posts. I didn't say nothing about doing right or wrong in any other area of life.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, my wife points out every typo. Every, so I get them from you, and then I get them from her.
0: (laughs) Technically, you
1: hire me to do that. So what I'm saying is, you you're, hired me to do that. You're annoying like my wife sometimes. I love, I love her, and occasionally I love you. I would. That is not one of those times. <laughs> I
0: don't want you to love me like you love her. That's I don't want that. All right,
1: let's let's get into the podcast. So we're going to talk about the new age of marketing here in a minute, but we're going to answer some questions first. We've gotten some questions from Instagram, and Ryer is going to curate our questions because we haven't done that in a while, and to, because I always forget to do it.
0: Uh, we might make these into reels too. Okay. Double double tap that that content. Um, so first one is from Lacey Lee underscore 92. Uh, I feel like you remember those shows on PBS where you could like call in for your homework help. No, no, it might, was, I didn't need homework. help. Oh, you guys still had black and white (laughs) radios. (laughs) Hilarious. Uh, there was these shows that like, there's people live, I guess. And you could call in with like your math homework and they'd be like, all right, we're talking to, you know, Ryan 30 or Ten in Ohio. What's your question? They're like, so I have a y equals mx plus b, and I just don't know what the answer is. And then <laughs> they would do it live on the whiteboard. I, this is what I feel like right now. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so how do I keep my uploaded files from going offline in Premiere and have and having to be relocated? Um, the easy answer is uh, organization. So. I'm gonna uh, let you take this. <laughs> I am not even gonna let you. I just I don't want to talk. Go ahead. Um, so, at the heart of it, the important thing to understand about Premiere and most uh, nonlinear editing programs or any editing program you're using on a computer these days is that they are link based. Meaning, when you put the videos into Premiere, when you import them, they're not living inside of that project. Uh, all that project is doing is containing. A link uh, and a roadmap to where that original video file lives on your computer. So, if you move that, uh, if you move that file, if you rename that file, uh, that roadmap that Premiere has inside of it no longer points to anything, which is why you get the media offline—that big red annoying box—because uh, it goes to that location and it looks for it, and nothing is there, and it goes, "Oh, I don't have it." Uh, The easiest way to get rid of that is when you uh, create your project, uh, you make a master folder for that project, and then uh, you have in that folder uh, your Premiere Pro project, the one that you're working in, you know, the .pproj, and then you have another folder containing all of your footage. Uh, And that way, your project and all of your footage are always together, uh, and you don't ever want to move that footage away from that location or change the name of that folder or anything like that as long as you're working on the project. Uh, if you do that and you have what, what people call good digital hygiene uh, and you keep everything organized all the time, then that should avoid that issue. Um, we've got some folder structures that we've designed uh, that we use every day here in the office if that is something that you're interested in and you want uh, us to send that to you, send us an Instagram message and we can get you a Google Drive link to that uh, and you can have exactly what we use to make sure our folder our files aren't offline. There you go. How was that? You like that? Was More that concise good than I thought it was going to be. I'm yes. trying. I'm trying. Sometimes I have a hard time. But
1: All right. Now, hard stop. We've got to produce these if we're going to make them in reels. Hard stop. Now, here's the next one. Go ahead. So uh,
0: here's the next one. Okay, go ahead. What's the next question? I tried to I tried to go to him into He didn't fall for it. I mm-hmm. started with so. No, no. You're supposed to say, what, Not what on the podcast really,
1: is long form. What you really
0: need to do is interrupt me right in the middle of the line I'm I saying. Could,
1: go. Don't start with so. I could just mute you. you I mean, could. we could always do that. All right, next one. Go ahead.
0: Uh, next one is from at the Slick Seven, and we'll both uh, answer this. Drop a Premiere effect that. Uh, that you like that others probably don't use or know about.
1: Like an actual effect or like something that we do in Premiere that people don't know about? I would say uh, an effect. I want to do a keyboard shortcut. Can I change mine? Can you do an effect and I do a keyboard shortcut? Um, Sure. Okay. I'll talk about keyboard shortcut because it's the easiest one that I've shown to a lot of people that don't know, which is the N um, command, which is the, what is that even called? It essentially, if you make a cut and you don't like where it was, instead of hitting command Z and making that cut again, you can select in and drag that cut wherever you want it to be. It just It saves you two or three clicks all the time, especially in audio when you're making cuts to, to duck, and you want to move that you know three or four frames one way or three or four frames the other way, instead of having to go in, delete the cut, recut, redo all your stuff. Even with the crosses all over the uh, constant power in there, you can select your end tool, grab that cut, drag it exactly where you want it, let it go, keep going. Love that one. In terms of effects, I mean, I don't use a ton of effects. The only time I use a ton of effects is like when we're trying to church something up. We just don't really do that very often. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I really don't use very many. I mean, I use a couple light leaks and some, you know, zoom in, zoom out transitions on occasion, but it's like, one percent of the time yeah so i don't really know how to answer that one very good to be honest i have one well go ahead
0: so uh
1: you're going to talk about an audio one aren't you it's an effect people want to know an effect i mean my most go ahead
0: my most used premiere pro video effects for the visuals would be a flip horizontal i use those a lot and then like a dip to black Mm, yeah. Or across all, Yeah, that's what I used to. Yeah. Not between two clips, but to just in and out like a graphic yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, other than that, not a whole ton. I mean, Lumetri color is technically an effect. You but just
1: answered Tim's question as he, ans- ask- he as- asked did it. Did he? I wasn't yeah, looking at nice. his.
0: Um, <clears throat> um, but my favorite, I think, slept on effect would be uh, something for a very specific purpose, and it's the uh, simple parametric equalizer or simple para-EQ in the audio effects. And uh, EQ is basically like color correction for sound.
1: Uh, That's a good way of describing it. It
0: it. colors the frequencies that you're actually hearing. Uh, And I remember doing some research and trying to figure out how do I really make uh, my vocals stand out from uh, my music, because uh, sometimes they kind of felt like they were muddled together. Uh, the easiest way, obviously, is ducking your music under that. But sometimes still, it, re- it didn't come through, right? The music kind of felt like it was butting heads with the, the voice. And there's a really easy thing you can do. Uh, you take a simple parametric equalizer um, or just a regular parametric equalizer. And you put it on the music. And you make a, uh, basically this little trough at about 300 hertz. Uh, and and decrease the volume of that uh, area by 5, 10, 15 decibels. And essentially what you're doing is uh, the human voice lives in a certain frequency range. Uh, that, if you make a trough around 300 hertz and bring it down, it's almost like you're creating this little valley for the vocals to sit in. So you're taking out all the frequencies... Not taking out, but lowering all the frequencies uh, of the music that would that would that your voice would usually want to occupy. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you I use that do, one. You need a ton.
1: To, Yeah, you need to do like a little video tutorial. On that one. That would be a good one.
0: Yeah. I I have it as a preset. Um, you also need to
1: show people how to make it a preset. Yeah. You need to and show me how to just, make it a preset. Sh- that way, you, you have bring it down. You there. You haven't shown me that. I keep some stuff to myself. Oh, here we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh but that would be probably that would probably be one of my favorites that I don't think many people use. Yeah. That's some high quality that's some high quality info right there. Yeah.
1: You won't get that in other classes and other places, especially for free, just to let you know. Exac exactly.
0: What what was Especially Tim's in other question? classes? Uh don't edit off the S D card, yes. Always move to another hard drive. Please do not edit off an S D card. <laughs> if I see anybody doing that, they're We will have words.
1: And another thing, SD cards after they're a year old, chunk them. Get a new one. Don't trust them.
0: Um. Okay. So now, oh, hard stop. Nice. Nice. Boom. On to the next one. Uh, Next question is from Winter Underscore Productions. Who is on the live stream? So you're getting it live. He's doing it right. He is. He's set up his life right.
1: Well, he's he is living right. He set his life up correctly, Mm -hmm. and uh, he's in the inner circle. Him him and Tim are always here. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, um, storytelling versus documentary versus highlight video versus cinematic sequence. Which is the true king?
1: Say that um, again.
0: So, and clarify if we are not interpreting correctly. Uh, but I think he's asking out of those four, what's the like what's what's the big baller it, wh- between it, what's storytelling,
1: the- documentary,
0: or storytelling slash doc uh, highlight video. And then like just cinematic sequence.
1: Well, it depends on what you're doing and what your audience is. But like, if you're asking us, it's anything with a story documentary style, you know, or a film that has a story, like it's got, it's gotta be a story. Like we can do hypes and we can do highlight reels. We can do all that. And I think that's what the general public likes the most because it's this instant gratification that gets you pumped up or whatever. But in terms of, as my grandmother says, if I had my druthers, what we're going to do is going to tell a story whether it's in documentary or whether it's in a film, Um, we don't get to do very much at all in the film realm. Everything we still do is in the, I guess, I mean, even documentary sometimes is a stretch. We get to do a little bit, but, you know, trying to storytell in the hunting space is something that we try and do. Um, But, you know, there's no comparison. If it's got a story, that's what I want to do.
0: I think I'm going to parrot Caleb on this, but – um, the true king it kind of it depends on what kingdom you're talking about right mm-hmm. Um, if you're just talking what straight makes the most money I would say that probably your your cinematic story pieces those mm-hmm. are your movies I mean you've got you've got things making multi-millions of dollars in box office openings yeah so Um, Just generally in the public sphere, I would say the king of of content is going to be that long form stuff.
1: You got Netflix shows. They also cost the most too, right? I mean, they might make the most, but they cost the most.
0: Sure. Um, But I mean, if you just talk about like what what's making the most money, what's moving the needle um, for people in general?
1: But would you? uh, But but does it? Look at look at compared to like a, a box office revenue versus what TikTok's making. Or what Instagram's making.
0: Yeah, but I... Uh, and that's
1: that short, hypey, but crap, for the most part, versus... Yeah, I'm
0: talking, okay, general in the world. Yeah, but you
1: don't think you can put that into the, con- the that into the consideration? I feel,
0: like that, I feel like that's a whole other kingdom. I think you talk oh, yeah. about social media, what type of content is yeah, king on social media? It's those hype videos. Yeah.
1: You know yeah, what I, I mean? Yeah, I guess you're right.
0: Yeah. So, to me, the king of social media is hype videos.
1: Oh, let me start it.
0: Um, Although there's a small shift, but still they're they're either hypey or they're short-form informational.
1: But stories always win. Everybody likes a good story. Mm-hmm. Stick with the story. You'll never go wrong.
0: Well, even a good short-form hype piece has a story. It needs a story. Not Any, all of them do. <laughs> like, look at – there's some of those guys on TikTok who are making those really, really short kind of sketch comedies mm-hmm. that are really funny. There's still a story. Yeah. Any – Joke has a setup and a punchline, and mm-hmm. that's a story. So there's always a story. You have to find it. Um, but you'll notice, if you really start to look, the content that you connect with and the content that gets shared has a story or a micro story. You or know, a, there's an if and a then. Or, or a TNA. I mean, yeah. But,
1: I'm, I'm just... You know. God, I mean, yeah. if we're talking about kingdoms yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're talking about what really makes well, the most money. Tough. We're going to talk about what really makes the most money.
0: Oldest profession in the in the history of humanity. I know. All right, what's the next question? All right.
1: Hard stop. All right, next question.
0: Okay, last question we're is. H- we're
1: hilarious. Did you know that? Freaking,
0: I knew it. <laughs> you asking me if I knew it? I know it. I make myself laugh all the time. <sighs> uh, I don't,
1: but I make y'all laugh, which is good.
0: It is good, right, Caleb. Go ahead. So you gotta you gotta have a role. <laughs> yeah,
1: I really do. That's my uh, role, just to you know, keep it light around here.
0: Yeah. Josh underscore Blair71. Is it best to start videoing with a DSLR or camcorder, mostly used for hunting?
1: Um so that's a question I've gotten quite a bit, and I actually would love to talk about that actually in a whole podcast, but the short version of that is The easy route is going to be a camcorder. But if your aspirations are to do more and to get better, then it needs to be a DSLR. And the reason for that is a DSLR is going to have all your manual functions. It's going to have your manual focus. It's going to have your manual iris, your manual ISO, your manual everything. And if you can run a DSLR efficiently, that skill set translates over to every camera above. So the buttons might be in different places, the rings might be in different places, but you'll understand the concept of how to run a camera in manual. Camcorders generally don't have that function. and If they do, it's very clunky. And they'll only give you one manual function versus everything being manual. They'll let you have manual focus, but they won't let you have manual um, f-stop. Or they'll let you have manual f-stop, but everything else has to be auto. And that doesn't help you. Um, I think running a, mirror, running a DSLR or mirrorless, whichever one it is, learning how to run that camera in manual understanding how aperture, shutter, ISO, and, you know, different lenses, how those work together to get to the image that you want and, and getting that understanding is invaluable. And there, are you know, if you want to buy a used DSLR, you can get one as cheap as a, you know, a, a good camcorder, especially if you're getting one off eBay. Where you're starting to getting into money is lenses. You know, once you start getting a suite of lenses, that's where your money's at. But, um you can do quite a bit with one or two lenses in the DSLR world.
0: Yeah, I think the only reason you would you would run a camcorder is if you're self filming. Yeah, that's that's the really the biggest. Uh, if you're just self film and if you're just self filming because you want to just kind of film your, you hunts just want to capture something for yeah. posterity, show your buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe put it on social, but you're just kind of doing it because you just want to kind of record your hunts and mostly probably just some general stuff and the kill shot and the recovery. Yeah. I think if you're self-filming that kind of stuff, then, you know, uh, a camcorder maybe makes more sense. But if you are filming your buddy's hunt, if you're trying to be a little bit more professional, if you're trying to get into the industry, um, if you're trying to have a a YouTube brand that grows, I would say that uh, a DSLR or a mirrorless, uh, is the way to go. I mean, probably a mirrorless. I know we say DSLR uh, a lot, but nowadays I would not recommend a DSLR. Uh, I would recommend unless a you mirrorless. just can't
1: afford a mirrorless. I mean, yeah. you can do. I mean, there's it all so, it all some, comes down to budget. Yeah. But there's um, some
0: really inexpensive mirrorlesses now because yeah. they've been out for a while. Yeah,
1: but you know, that's what we're buying is second cameras. I mean, we're running a, an old DSLR as the camera you're looking at right now. It's an old. Uh, our uh, 6D that is on a 50 millimeter prime lens that we use in the studio because we've kind of taken it out of circulation. Like it's an emergency, emergency, emergency camera just for pictures. It'll shoot solid video, but um, that's what we'd record this podcast off of. Um, we're probably going to add, add another. I guess we would consider a legacy DSLR um, as a second camera eventually. Um, that it, were I mean, to, it was
0: a, well. There's still professional. Yeah, there's still professional using photographers them. using them. Like DSLRs are are great for. Photography. Oh yeah, they're just not really set up. And
1: video. that's another de- reason that we're still talking about is another great reason to have a DSLR or mirrorless over a camcorder is just the being able to take good pictures. Um, you kind of get the du- you know, your double whammy. You can do pictures and video with the mm-hmm. same, same thing, and you'll get proficient enough to do both. On, I mean, I've had to film many hunts with Dudley where I had to use one mirrorless, my R5 or my 5D Mark IV, and I had to do both. I had to take pictures and record video on the same camera, all in the same car at the same time. Uh, you can't do that with a quarter or even our FX sixes. So,
0: I had to use, I think it was that camera uh, when I accidentally tried to wash the FS seven in the Atlantic. Oh, nice!
1: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember it. that phone call from you. Mm-hmm. You're like, good news and bad news. <laughs> good news, still got the camera. Bad news is not working anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah, bad news is, yeah, it's currently sitting in a bag of rice, mm. entirely torn apart. Mm. Um, mm. but. I had the, I had that camera, so yeah. I was able to finish out the trip. Yeah, although it was annoying, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't want to be doing. But that. But again, redundancy. Mm-hmm. We had we had a backup plan. If you would only had that camera, you'd have been sitting there twiddling your thumbs.
0: I would have set up some GoPros and let them eat.
1: Let them eat. Golly,
0: <laughs> maybe I would have convinced Billy to let me bow fish a little bit. Yeah.
1: Well, you'd had to not if you went with Chuck, You'd had to drown him to get to get the bow. I bow hunt, bowfish with Chuck a thousand times. I don't think I've ever shot. If shoot a thousand fish. I'm like, how many fish in your? Bill I wanna know how many you? Yeah, they would. Uh, well, it's because they're tired of missing. But no, um, <laughs> but Chuck, like, I'm gonna be, I want to say, like, how many fish have you killed in your life? Hundred thousand? Two hundred thousand? How I many I've shot? Maybe three, four or five, maybe. I filmed a bunch of them. <laughs> he's a game hog, he's just bad. He's, He's got a problem. I hope he hears this.
0: He does. He, he does. It. He's got a lot of problems. Oh, well. That's true. That's all one right. of
1: them. Next question. Hard stop.
0: Continue. Oh, uh, that's it?
1: Mm-hmm. That's all you need.
0: No, no, that's all Oh, the that's questions. all
1: the questions? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so we're actually start ready to start talking about podcasts. So, to set it up, Ryers sent me a video. Um, I don't know if we'll share it. We may share it. We may not. That uh, some uh, some content creator online shared about, new media, new marketing strategies. Um, and uh, he sent it to me last night, and he's like, we should talk about this. And kind of the the 10,000-foot view of it is, which we're going to try and talk in detail about it. We're probably not going to talk too terribly long, so I have been talking for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the 10,000-foot view is old marketing, old media, which is what we've been watching, especially in the outdoor world, is... We've been watching the same thing for 30 years, ever, ever since I've been watching outdoor content. It's really the only thing that's changed in outdoor content, and we're going to talk about outside outdoor content in a minute, but specifically in outdoor content, the only thing that has changed is the video quality of the cameras has gotten a little bit better. The deer have gotten bigger. The budgets might have gotten a little bit better. But in terms of the story and the substance of what we're watching hasn't changed. Um, And, and I think that's the same for the outside world too. You know, once we get into big picture, you know, and essentially it's like, okay, most of the content that people consume, even if we're talking about Netflix, even if we're talking about big business, you know, the Toyotas of the world, the, you know think of like major corporations and they put out a commercial or they put out a series or they put out a something well, essentially that is or
0: even something on social media,
1: yeah or even on something on social media. Where did that come from? Who sourced that? who made it and like and why do we why do we care? do we trust it? Um, and I think it's you know it's essentially the way this guy said it is like things are coming out of a cave, and people just don't trust that or they they have this distrust of this unknown entity and this big, large brand trying to either cater or um, trying to tell their version of what they think people care about. Um, and essentially what he's saying is the people that are going to have the most impact and that are going to hopefully make the most money, which is the little part I like to hear, is that are poised to do the best are the video creators. Uh, the weirdos like us and like you and some of you watching – who are gonna go out and gonna be able to tell real stories to real people and understand what people want. And which I'm gonna let Ryder talk about it, but, you know, we get calls all the time and we're like, What? You want us to do what? And it's frustrating for us, um, I guess would be the word.
0: Yeah, I think my takeaway my takeaway from the video as a whole that made me uh want to send it to Caleb was uh, that the old way of marketing is dying.
1: Maybe ha- we should defi- let's define what old way of marketing is. I guess.
0: Yeah, I think um, if you really want to get technical, I I think you can kind of you can go back and really look at some of the older marketing from when like the marketing agencies really hit their stride, right? Which mm-hmm. would be what seventies, eighties, nineties, yeah, right, where you had your big marketing agencies making these huge campaigns, right? And so initially, a lot of selling was done on a really uh, feature benefit level, right? Here's here's the problem that you, the consumer, the business, the whoever has, here's the product, here's the feature of this product that will solve this. Here's the feature that solves this better than the other Competitors' product, mm-hmm. right? It was a very feature-based uh, marketing, and you could see that. You go back and look at the ads for old cars,
1: and you look at every hunting commercial still. <laughs> right. I mean, you want to kill a bigger buck? Here's how you kill a bigger buck.
0: Yeah, they're, we're operating with yeah. the marketing from the 70s and the 80s in the yeah. hunting industry. Um, but like, I literally just saw it the other day. Uh, I was going through a bunch of old stuff that I had, getting rid of a bunch of just documents that I no longer needed. And I had the, uh, the newspaper article for the advertisement uh, for the first truck that I bought because I, I bought a 1991 Ford Ranger uh, used from somebody. I bought it when, like, in 2015, right? And the guy I bought it from had kept the original advertisement for that yeah. vehicle in 1990. And in 1990, uh, things were changing in the marketing world, but uh, the ad was like the truck, the cost of the truck – and, like, here are the features of this truck. And then, like, oh, we have 15 models available or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, 1991 Ford Ranger, uh, manual five-speed f- yeah, five manual transmission. You know, it can haul this much. Yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. this 2.4 liter engine. Yeah, the list
1: of all the stuff yeah. that it could do. And, yeah, and,
0: and I'm sure that invokes images in everybody's head of, all of the advertising from that era was like that, right? I can
1: haul my ex-girl lady old, old yeah. lady around that truck.
0: And so for a long time, that was the standard. And then uh, there came a point wherever, where whoever marketers were like, well, what if instead of selling the features, we sell the experience? Yeah. We sell the feeling of that thing. And Harley that's Davis, been
1: Harley-Davidson was a good one for that. They did a really good job of selling an experience and a culture.
0: Right, Yeah. and I think that's been, uh, and of course, this is my understanding as somebody who didn't go to marketing school, didn't mm-hmm. study marketing, just kind of intakes a lot of this stuff because I'm a nerd and watch stuff, but that's been the era we've been living in for a long time. Still are. Is yeah. is experiential marketing, and you look at a, I use car commercials because those are about the biggest budget commercial that you can get, but it trickles down through every single advertise every single industry and you can take this and apply it and look at it and find examples but look at a car commercial what is a car commercial it's a small story about you know like here's the things that abstractly you can feel if you drive this car right yeah you drive an f-150 and you've got like dudes working construction and this like cool edgy like dude rock music and a narrator with a deep voice and just dirt and trailers and tractors and all this stuff because they want to, they understand that who they're selling to is a guy who wants to drive a truck and wants to feel manly driving a truck. Yeah. Right. And so they're going to sell you that feeling. They're going to try to sell you through uh, the messaging of that advertisement that if you buy this truck, you'll feel like a man. You're "You're a man. Yeah. This is a man's truck, right? Testosterone. Yeah. And, Every vehicle has a little bit of a different feel. Uh, and I look at the airlines. You see an airline commercial. What are they selling? They're selling like, oh, if you go with us, you'll be this worldwide traveler Delta doing
1: adventure. and Delta's big and, on that.
0: And being this multicultural person, seeing all these places.
1: When in reality, Delta should sell, hey, you should fly with us because everybody else is trash. Yeah. <laughs> Literally everybody else's airline is junk.
0: Yeah, and so that has been the major – that's been, through our lifetime, the major uh, advertising like, yeah. trend. But it's changing now. Changing big time. And it started changing, you know, maybe I would say three years ago, five no, years I'd ago. No, I'd put
1: it back further than that. I would say the big change, even though it's still an unnamed face, for the most part, I'd say, the, to me, the first one that started to change it was Red Bull um mm-hmm. they started to push that you know perception is reality and um you know they, they kind of wrapped a lot of things but red bull is
0: still that that how they marketed yeah is still that if you drink red bull you're going to be a, a, a badass yeah but there's there's no like you drink this you're travis pastrama
1: yeah well not anymore it's black Raffle, but yes i see what you're saying um so i think
0: they're still the that's experiential marketing now yeah. I feel like they'll, they're transitioning quicker.
1: Okay, so let's talk about how they're transitioning.
0: But I think now uh, now more and more the, mar- the marketing that consumers are connecting with that's moving the needle is personality and personal-based. Yeah. And not personality in the way that, oh, you've got uh, Michael or you've got John Elway uh, being like, hey, buy – Whatever yeah. product you know, yeah, uh, you it's got,
1: he's Theo Vaughn. right? It's uh, it's uh, Dave Portnoy, it's Elon Musk. It's Dave
0: Portnoy is probably the best example yeah. of a company that has used that because yeah. he's uh,
1: everywhere, everywhere.
0: And you, the major thing that this guy was saying is that people no longer like the feature benefit. Yeah, they'll get that. They'll figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's later on down the line. We don't need to put that in a commercial. That's like the last step of the pipeline for people. Um, these like big budget experiential, like commercials, uh, are not selling people things. Like I see a car commercial. I see a F f 50 commercial. I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't really care.
1: Cool. Good looking truck.
0: Um, you see, you see, uh, barstool sports, Dave, Or doing something, you've got instant name recognition with Barstool Sports. Yeah. You know, Um, the pieces of content that are moving the needle for companies are things that connect with consumers and an audience on a personal level. And they have a certain level of. uh, They're casual, they're real, relatable. And it feels like there's a human behind that piece of content instead of you've got these giant commercials from these brands. Those pieces of content don't feel like they were created by a person for people. They feel like they were created by committee Mm -hmm. just to sell you something. Right. The pieces of content that are, are performing right now, are things by people for people yeah um in the hunting industry i think that you've got somebody like dudley is a great example of that mm-hmm. right um you've i i don't know if any bow brands do it but uh if they do i don't know uh you know educational content but not to a, a, not to the and and level any, dudley does any do. personality content right but knock on archery as a as a Chris brand, B does a good job yeah Uh, is,
1: but I don't, I mean, I don't follow him. I mean, not really. I mean, I know who he is, but I'm also not a guy that watches YouTube. I think that's the problem. Um,
0: but long story short is marketing is moving away from these big, huge, uh, pieces that feel like they're rooted in a committee Mm boardroom and towards content that feels human human yeah. and relatable.
1: Well, here's here's my takeaway from that I, I look at let's just take what you said a car commercial. How much does it take to make a car commercial? They're expensive. Let's just say millions, um, doesn't it? I would say millions, but I'm going to use $100,000 for a rough number. It's probably more than that. How many amazing cool story human pieces can you make for 100 grand? A bunch. Mm-hmm. Let's just say at least five crazy good ones to me, I don't get the value like the only the only place I see value in production at that level is like the movie we've already bought tickets for like Oppenheimer. yeah, I want to see it when I go to a movie theater. I don't want to go to a movie theater and watch a youtube video i don't not nor will I pay to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a level and there's an expectation of the level of production when you go to a movie theater. But when we're talking about content that's going to move people, that's going to motivate people to buy, that's going to get people to a store, to a brand, to an event, it's got to be something that speaks to them on a human level. And And Tim just asked, what does connecting with people on a personal level look like in the hunting industry? I think it's got to be to me, I can tell you what it's not, and that is going to um some Middle Eastern country and shooting a Marco Polo sheep for eighty five thousand dollars and putting that show out there and expecting someone to spend twenty seven hundred dollars on this custom rifle you know that that's not that's not relatable, that's unattainable. Is it cool, maybe? It's just like like I I guess I relate it back to like I love watching um like documentaries about Everest and people that climb big mountains. But I'm watching it for a cool story. I'm not gonna go buy something. I think it's gotta speak to me or speak to you or the audience at a level that's at your level, which if we look at demographics, you know, that's forty five thousand dollar a year type households, fifty five thousand dollar a year type households. What does that household look like? Well, it's what we tried to do with the Make It Happen series, and we're still trying to do um, when we have time and we can get budget, is create a story or a series that speaks to that guy that makes that much money. All right, you want to do these hunts? Here's how we're doing them. Here's how much it costs. Here's how we're getting there. Here's how much tags were. Here's how we got our license. Um, you're making it to where it's, what was the, what's, the, what's the three? Educate, inspire, entertain. You know, you know, those are three facets of everything that we do. But at the same time, it's got to be humanized to a level that it's like what Ryer said, which I know we're kind of beating a dead horse. It's got to feel like there's somebody on the other side. You're not talking to the audience or the consumer by committee. It's got to feel like there was a person, there was a purpose, there was thought. and And it doesn't have to be perfect. I think that's another thing that we miss all the time is like I was editing a video today of Chuck doing the silencer central videos and like he has some ums and some uhs and some stumbles and we kept going and I was like I thought about it as I was shooting I was like should we fix these you know but as I'm sitting here talking about it like I think that shows it's a it's there's a person there Mm -hmm. there's now now I'm not saying make your video look like crap because they can't get a word out but I'm saying there's a human element to what you're doing and what you're putting out what you're creating and I think now that adds value to what you're doing versus um you know that crazy polished, polished quarter of a million dollar Toyota ad that probably took let's be honest a year to conceptualize shoot and edit you know like mm-hmm. that's and like when you say think about Toyota does they have a face name a brand no but think about how who's kicking their butt right now is Tesla. Who's face of Tesla, Elon Musk, and he's not afraid to be controversial. He's not afraid to say speak his mind. He's not afraid to be wrong, which he's usually not wrong. Um, same thing with Dave Portnoy. He's not
0: afraid to be in front of the camera. Exactly. He's not afraid to answer questions. To he's answer not answer questions yeah. Yeah. to get on this podcast to be on this YouTube. Yeah, show, to put himself to, out there to connect with people. Mm Right, like I saw, uh, I'm. This is really going to show how much of a nerd I am. (laughs) Uh, There's a YouTube channel called Everyday Astronaut, but it's a guy who's just really loves space. Um, And like his thing is like, okay, well, let's talk about this rocket and this company and what's new and this satellite stuff like that. Well, you know, when when Tesla start or when SpaceX, which is a subsidiary of, you know, Elon Musk owns Mm -hmm. SpaceX. If Mm -hmm. you didn't know that, you. Or if I've been living under a rock, <laughs> um, when they start launching new rockets, well, this—I don't know how it happened—but uh, either Elon Musk asked this guy to be here, or he—he he said, "Hey, can I come film this?" And Elon Musk walked around the factory. I've seen this video. Yeah, and and uh, you don't see that from other brands. Yeah. Right. I no. mean, Tesla and SpaceX and Elon Musk is one of the wealthiest conglomerations of companies in. In the entire world, yeah, and here he is with a YouTuber, yeah, uh, walking him through the factory and explaining things and pointing things yeah. out, and that connects with people. People like that. Guess who people don't like? Is uh, um, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. right? Basically, those two guys are competitors to each other mm-hmm. in, in some sense, and just like money to money, um, they don't like Bezos because he feels like a robot,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? What what it like and Zuckerberg? They don't People don't like him because he feels like a robot. Feels like everything that they say has been like manufactured and yeah, decided by there's committee.
1: It's been through PR three, thirteen times before they're allowed to talk. Yeah, you know. But you know what I you know what I just thought of as you're talking is people want to see behind the curtain, and there's so many companies that don't let you see behind the curtain. Like I, I keep using Toyota as an example, but Toyota is a gigantic company mm-hmm. that is just a giant group of people with PRs and managers and, you know, manufacturing facilities and all these things, they're not a person, they're a giant company. Maybe Toyota's not a great example because I am a huge Toyota fan, but you, know, you think of a company of that level. You yeah, know? I would
0: imagine if but, Toyota came out and they embraced like, yeah. hey, we make, yeah, they had a whole like or, or Toyota they, Tacoma fan page that was run by them and they had some guy and, and they were like, we're just going to do dope stuff with Toyotas. Or they
1: hired a CEO that was like, we're going to embrace these things. And they gave that CEO a face, and they gave them something to do. But more than anything, I compare it to, like, think about the government. Mm-hmm. The government doesn't let you see anything. Like, you don't know how things work. Things are confusing. They just put something out. It's hard to read. It's hard to understand. But it's done by committee. It costs way too much money, and it's ineffective. Mm-hmm. That's what marketing is now. Like, nobody's, for the lack of a better term, pulling up their skirt and letting you see behind the curtain, you know, and and I think that that's the you way. You always get
0: this feeling like there's a Wizard of Oz somewhere. Yeah. And you don't get to yeah. see the Wizard of Oz. You never
1: get to see Oz. My dad always used to say that when you go buy a car and, that you know, the guy would leave and you're trying to negotiate the price of a car and they'd go back to talk to, like, the sales manager. But you never got to see the sales manager. You're just your salesman. And people hate that. And No, they hate that. And then my dad's like, well, he's going back to talk to Oz, you know, yeah. and see if Oz says yes or no. Right. And that, that's, that's the thing that people hate. And, and I look I think at that, all
0: the trends of, like, cons- like what people are, are moving towards as far as um consuming mm-hmm. and 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 being a part of you've got people hate going to the car dealership. Oh so God, I hate it. So now one, the start of that was everybody just started selling their used cars online. Mm-hmm. And now you've got Carvana and Carmax and, mm-hmm. and these sites where no you don't, you don't get yeah, to negotiate. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah. But you see the car, you want the car, have the car.
1: Here's the price.
0: You know? Non negotiable. Um, you want to go stay somewhere? Well, you're not going to buy a hotel. You're going to buy an Airbnb, mm-hmm. right? You, uh, I had another example on my well, head and it, it just left.
1: To me, it's it's like now, <laughs> how many times have you been in two different scenarios, to a gas station where you can't pay at the pump, or to a uh, restaurant where they that you have to go in, you know, something along those lines is like it's the convenience it's the the personal thing it's like i don't want to go inside it's like making it easy for the consumer but also at the same time like that extra hassle of you know i don't want to i don't want to go in here if you want to spend my money this is how i want to do it and i want to have the experience that i want to have you know i that's i kind of relate that to the same thing like you know the the extra process the extra step or not getting to see behind the curtain or whatever it is like those things are important, and I think now more than ever, you know, it, you know, especially with the Carvana thing, you know, or or, or the you know the car is like here's the price, here's what it is, buy it online versus going to a dealership, going inside, negotiate with somebody. That's the same way I want to pay at the pump. I don't want to have to mess with anybody. I don't have to go in there. I want to mm-hmm. pay at the pump and I want to leave. If yeah. I drive through there and it says you know card reader invalid, I'm going to the next gas station. Lost mm-hmm. my business. You know maybe that's not the way to be, but um, I think that. Having that human element, having that human person, I freaking love Dave Portnoy. I absolutely love him. But, like, and I look go – con- Look at the content. That's what I was going to say. Look at the content that
0: you like the most. The pizza most.
1: reviews. I go down a rabbit trail with the pizza reviews. What are the pizza reviews? And I, I cringe to say this. They're shot on a handy cam with no lav mics by a very unexperienced camera. He's a cameraman. He ain't a producer. And it's just Dave, it's completely personality. The whole thing you could find virtually anybody on the street that could hold up a three pound camera for five minutes could shoot that. Mm-hmm. It's like when I walk out of the store, just film. be focused on me and nothing else. Wait till I'm done talking, I'll tell you when to quit recording. Mm-hmm. That's literally the whole job and um and and and, and Dave does it to where. He's created businesses on top of that. You know, he's created that, uh, that pizza app or the, um, what's it called? One Bite. One Bite, everybody knows the rules. You know, but people love him. Um, you know, there's, we could go on, you know, examples like Mr. Beast is an example of that. You know, none of his content's polished at all. I mean, it's all pretty handheld and raw for the most part. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what people expect from YouTube. But I also think that's what people are expecting from social. That's what people are expecting from the content they're consuming. I think that's what people are expecting to a degree with the long-form content. Like, it it can be polished, but it's got to have that human element. It's got to start, like, these hosts that go on and that are robots that have done the same thing the same way for 20 years and they wonder why their brands are dying. Well you've got to adapt to your audience. You got to like you got to act like you're a, a human, the live person that doesn't only just go kill 400-inch bulls every time you go out. It's like that's not real life. Be mm-hmm. honest about it. Um and I think the biggest thing too is nobody shows the mistakes. Nobody shows the not so good times. That's one of the things that we always try to do with the habit and the hunting habit. And now, you know, now would make it happen is when the hunt doesn't go to plan and you don't kill anything. I think we should show it. I think we should make an episode of that, whether we kill or not, because that's the reality. You don't kill nine times out of ten. You go. So why are we, why are we not being truthful and being human? And and, and then when we're not successful, tell the truth. If the outfitter sucked, let's talk about the outfitter sucking. Let's just not say, oh, the weather was bad. It's like no. Let's be truthful about. What's happening? Uh, I made a terrible shot. I shot, the de- I shot the deer in the butt. It's like, well, I'm, you know, nobody wants to see that. It happens. And for the keyboard warriors out there, it does happen. If you've never done it, you've never bowhoned long enough. So it's one of those things that I think we need to be honest about it. We need to be, again, human and truthful about it. Um, and some of these brands that don't have a face or a name or, or, or a culture or a feeling or a brand, that's what they need.
0: Well, I think, I think that a lot of a lot of brands do not understand what people want to see. And I think I think it's important because we we do talk about, you know, how, how we want to tell long storm for y- stories. Long storm stories. Uh, yeah. Tough words. Um how we like making polished content, how we you know, uh we don't want to shoot vertical and all these things. Um and I think it's important to say that when I think about what makes a successful marketing and what connects to consumers, um, the style isn't necessarily what matters, mm-hmm. right? You could go out there and do something with a handicam and connect with consumers. You can also go out there and produce a good series and connect to consumers. The difference is that... Uh, or the the binding factor is, does that thing that you're making connect with people? Yeah. Do people feel like there is a person on the other side of this? Do they feel like there's a, a personality that there is uh, something to relate to? Yeah right? The reason like Dave Portnoy could go with a two camera setup and do a really well-filmed pizza review, and it would perform just the same mm-hmm. as long as he still delivered the information and kept the him. spirit yeah. of that intact. Yeah. Um, and you can do a hunting public-type show where you're just shooting from the hip, and it's just what you get is what you get. Or you can do a show that is more not produced, but has a higher production value and retain that same relatability. I mean, it's been done. Uh, Look at Dirty Jobs. Dirty Mm -hmm. Jobs is really well produced and people loved it. Why did they love it? Because Mike Rowe was a guy who could connect to people. Mm -hmm. He could relate to people. Um, And people enjoyed watching Mike Rowe because when you watch him, you feel like, uh you feel like you can connect to him mm-hmm. uh he's a relatable guy and
1: he's charismatic he's funny he's witty he's smart he's all those things
0: and he's a and he's a human right he's but, he's getting down yeah. in in mm-hmm. the septic tanks and doing it with people and he he's, also he's I, failing at the te- he gets yeah. out there to do something 100% he has no idea how to do he's never done it and he will do it and he will get a face full of poop yeah and that's fine. But you they know another it.
1: thing that he did that very few do? He would talk to the camera guys. He would make them a part of the situation. He would mm-hmm. humanize the production. It's not a fly on the wall. It was, you know, we're a team here doing these things. And I think that's important as well. I think a lot of shows miss the mark. They want, they want to make it seem like they accomplished this thing all on their own when we all know that it was a very much a team effort to make it happen. Um, And, again, I think people are going to relate more to acknowledging there's a team, acknowledging there's people there that are making this happen, acknowledging people's strengths and weaknesses, making fun of yourself when you screw up, owning it when you do bad, and, you know, celebrating together when you do good. I think it's really, truly, I believe the moral of this story is we just got to be truthful and simple and relatable and quit overthinking it.
0: I think that there needs to be an element of, not an element, like excruciating relatability Mm -hmm. in content. Because that is the through line of anything that performs. Anything that performs uh, on social media, um, on YouTube, um, on TV, uh, like in the reality sense, is driven by a relatability um some like people want to watch because they feel like they're watching another person there's somebody there uh and i th- and there's like a personality right i think that a lot a lot of brands in the hunting industry don't have a personality and yeah. a lot of t- most a point. lot of shows don't have a personality and a lot of branded content doesn't have a personality it just feels like reading an information brochure and people don't want to do that if I want to read an information brochure I will either go read it I'll go find it or I will go and search that specifically or maybe I'll go find a personality that I like on YouTube who I trust yeah and and let them go through the specs.
1: But here's the thing, a lot of them don't have a personality or the personality they do have is what they think the audience wants to see. It's not themselves. They're not authentic. Mm-hmm. There's you know, to me is he's still he's still the best is Michael Waddell because he's always been Michael Waddell. He's always been him, he's been unique to himself, he's never tried to be anybody else. There's been a lot of people trying to be Michael Waddell. There's still people on outdoor television that think that they're Michael Waddell and they're not, they never will be. Um, there's only been a couple unique, like Tiffany. Tiffany has a unique personality that's, that she never tried to be anybody else. And I think that's why people love Tiffany. Dudley, same thing. I think Dudley, Dudley has to really rein back his personality a lot of times because I know him off camera and he is hilarious but he, he, some of that comes through, and I think that's why again, why people love him. That's, there's you know, I've always said Chuck is the most underappreciated personality out there, because I think he's the, one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. But that's why people love them, and that's why they have the following that they do, is because they are who they are. They're not trying to be anybody else. They're so I mean I'm, I'm not going to name them, but I could name you four or five hosts right now. that think that they have a personality, that think they're funny, that think they're charismatic. And anybody who knows or anybody who's got any sense is like, this is the fakest human I've ever seen.
0: And I think that's that's a lot of it is especially on the internet these days. There are so many people. You will find your audience. Mm -hmm. But you have to be authentic about it, right? Humans are excellent at Reading other humans. Yeah. Because that's what we've done since forever. Yeah,
1: Since forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like your survival at one point in time depended on your ability to look at...
1: Across the field. Across the
0: field, to look at a human, another human, or to interact with this other human and figure out, are they going to kill me? Are they going to be a detriment to me and my tribe of Mm. people? Or are they going to uh, help us.
1: Do we let them in the gates or do we pour the tar on them?
0: Right. <laughs> and if you made the wrong decision, you, you die. Did, yeah, die, yeah. And because of that, humans have just a ridiculous instinct for understanding if people are. <laughs> so real. What you're saying is
1: this is life and death. <laughs> it is. It is. Everything's I'm life sorry, and death. I have to say <laughs> <it>. <laughs> if
0: you don't do it, you'll die. But humans are so good at figuring that out. So if you try to get if you try to be fake, they will find out at some point. Oh, God. You can see right through it. And right that's through. worse. Mm-hmm. That's worse than just being yourself and having some people not like you. Mm-hmm. And on the internet these days... Uh,
1: you're not going to have somebody that doesn't like you.
0: you will ha- you'll find an audience. Oh, yeah. For sure. As long as you're being authentically yourself. As long as your brand is being authentically yourself. And if you've built a brand and you've built a company full of people who have the same vision, you don't have to worry about it. mm mm-hmm. Right? Um, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but I think we're a great example of that because, you know, we all have very similar personalities. We have very similar outlooks on um, life and, and content and work and how we want to do and be and where we want to go and all these things. So when we're on Redneck Tech, I don't have to be – uh, you don't have to put on a face. I have to put on a face. Yeah. I'm Ryer. Mm-hmm. You're Caleb. Yeah. Clay is Clay. Joe is Joe. Right? And because of that, we don't have to worry about necessarily what our messaging is. We don't have to create a whole bunch of documents and, and have corporate culture meetings to figure out We'd what, never get anything done. what the messaging is. Yeah. Because the messaging is just us. Yeah, And a lot of companies don't have that. And that starts from the top down. But you have to be intentional about that and make a decision like, hey, this is what our company is. Black Rifle is a great example of that. That's what they were. And they, they have a face. They a have couple a couple faces. Face. They have faces and a personality and
1: a defined culture. They're a defi- not yeah.
0: they're not the Folgers brand on the Walmart shelf, right? Yeah. I don't know anything about Folgers. Or the Starbucks. Thing I know about Folgers or is, Starbucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And people buy their coffee because they relate to those people.
1: And they stand for something. I think that's important too.
0: And um, I think that that is the most important connecting piece of what it's going to take to be successful moving forward in marketing. Yeah. Um, and I, the other part of what this guy was saying is that it, it's up to people like us to be ready for and help companies make that switch. Um, because companies will begin to understand this yeah. and they'll begin to realize, like, we need, we need people who can tell stories. We need people who know what the consumers want, what uh, what people want to see. You know, I I think just generally, obviously I don't have a marketing degree, but I know what people like to see. And I think I have a good instinct on what it is that will connect and won't connect. Obviously I can't tell you like what video is going to go viral, but you know, we have talks with, but I think
1: that's different. I don't think of, I don't think viral videos and connecting content are the same thing.
0: No, but I think you can look at, uh, um, you can look at viral videos as a great example of success, right? The same way that uh, you look at, exceptionally successful humans as this is the pinnacle to achieve, right? You're, you want to be like an Elon Musk or uh, a Joe Rogan or a name your favorite high-performing individual, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be those people. Yeah. In fact, very few will. But you want to model your life after that to some extent, whatever it is that you want to be like. And so I think viral videos and viral content is the same. Yeah. Right. You look at what what are the elements that make these these pieces of content outperform everything else and how can I integrate that into the content that I'm making and the content that uh this brand and company wants mm-hmm. in order to walk towards that success. And yeah. overall, when you watch a viral video, it is exceptionally relatable. Mm-hmm. And exceptionally human, and it feel most of them go viral because that just feels it, there's a person there doing something that people do, and for whatever reason it was funny or uh, extremely relatable or informational, right? But you're not getting a corporate tech video to go viral, but you might get a uh, you know a TikToker doing a weird review of the same product go viral why is that because there was a human that people saw and heard and connected to in that video
1: yeah i think i mean which i've told talked to you about this i will never ever said on the podcast but i've tried to model copeland creative redneck tech as a very small version and and in in our own way but like what black rifles tried to create for, for their them and their company is create a culture, create a place and a brand that not only people want to work for, but companies want to work with and be a part of and associate with. Um, are we there? Absolutely not. Um, it costs money to do that. It costs money to do those things right. But I also think, you know, if we want to relate this back to content, to do content right, to do stories right, they cost money and they take time.
0: And I think there's also a level of risk taking that is involved. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, and there's a level of, vulnerability that's also involved in in that
1: but again it all comes back to the human element the people that are involved the people that are here the people that are at black Rifle that started black rifle it all comes back to that human part of it it's not like we said it's not coming out of a cave it's not this faceless nameless entity uh it's you know where it came from you know who made it you know who had their hands in it and you know the, the thought process and the, the personalities and the relatability behind it. And that's what we've tried to do. Um, we're trying to do it more. I mean, that's what I mean, you've been talking about all day. It's like, how do we do a better job at this? How do we continue to push the envelope? How do we continue to differentiate ourselves, not only from other podcasts and other creators, but other production houses? I mean, we're, we're kind of multifaceted in what we do. We don't just do one thing. Like we, I tell people, if it's got to do with content, we can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if it's a story, a film, a documentary, a podcast, a photography shoot, a pre-production process, you name it, we have either done it or are doing it or can do it. And it's one of those things to where I want us to grow in a way that people want to continue to associate with us, which I think they do. I think we've got a, not a giant following, but a pretty, pretty cool cult little following on what we're trying to do and the information we put out because I don't care who you ask, I don't care who you talk to, nobody puts out as much free information as we do. Um, it's a ton of stuff. And uh, I mean, we've got 179 podcasts worth now. But um, I've really thought about that in terms of the company level. But now we've got to try and think about it at the client level and the delivery level and the deliverables level. How do we change the perception? How do we change... Because, like you said before the podcast, is like we've had clients come to us with things we're like, no one is going to want to watch that. No one's going to relate to that, and they're about to spend a lot of money on it. And yeah, we're
0: like, and no, you, this is dumb. And we think to ourselves, well, you guys are spending a lot of money on this, um, and we want to create something that's going to move the needle for somebody. Yeah, right. Uh, and that we're happy to put our name right, on. and that that we enjoy working on. And, uh, sometimes, you know, you, you get those ideas and you're like, well, that you're operating with a understanding of the consumer that's 30 years old, that's 40 years old. And sometimes it's, you know, you're talking like, yeah, we really want to connect with the new audience on social media. We really want to move into this new space. We're trying to, uh, we're trying to get involved in, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and and doing new things, you know, we may not have, we're we're trying to get there and they want to bring the type of content and marketing that would have worked maybe 40 years ago into a a space that doesn't want it and it won't perform. And it's difficult to try to say, Hey, that's not going to work here. You know, um, and try to push towards, let's think, how can we be a little bit more relatable? How can we make some content that is going to connect to the people that you're putting it in front of? Yeah. You, know, you have to understand that, and the hunting industry is as far behind that curve as you possibly could be. <laughs> but there will be, and there are some companies now that are beginning to there will be companies who understand this before others, and those companies are going to enjoy a certain um, amount of success th- by leaving behind the other the companies that won't evolve to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we as content creators need to always be trying to be on the front end of that curve. You don't want to get stuck in in the in the old way of doing things because as soon as all that gets outdated, you are now outdated. And now more than ever, companies are going to need uh, people to help them create that kind of content because the kind of content that is going to perform isn't getting created in a corporate boardroom. Those ideas are not coming from a giant... Uh, a conglomerate of people. Those ideas are coming from small teams of hyper-creative people who understand the brand, the brand's personality, and understand how to communicate to people through human content, through yeah. relatable content. Yeah. And so I think it's important as content creators to push yourself to be in that space and not just make the stuff that you see that's performing, but to put yourself out there and try to make stuff that is a little bit ahead of the curve. Cause at some point the curve will catch up. And if you're ahead of the curve, you're the first one there when it does.
1: Well, that's an hour and six minutes. That's all I got. You got anything else? Uh, I think we have any more questions. All right, guys, um, send in some questions, podcast ideas. we we'll, um, we are we did move the dates back for the class. The new dates for the class are July nineteenth through the twenty. What is it? Hold on. July nineteenth arrival, twenty third go home. Um, we've got a couple signed up that kind of carried over from. When we had the original dates, that I forgot was Father's Day. Sorry. Um, so, still have plenty of open spots. Let me know. It's about a little over a month out. Um, let me or Ryder know. We can send you the sign up sheet. Um, if you know anybody that would be interested in coming, let us know. Um, if you got a group, let us know. I mean, we're, we're, we're flexible. But um, it's a good time, I promise. And I have had, I probably had three companies over the last month reach out to me looking for full-time people. Um, People are are really in need. Companies are really in need of what we're doing at a company level to do day-to-day stuff. Not necessarily large production, but they need people that can come in shoot photos, shoot video. So there are jobs out there. And this class is, I bet I've had 10 or 12 people over the years that now work full-time in this industry. Not necessarily all because of my class, but it was a jumping off point. It was a great place to network. And it, if nothing else, it gave them the confidence to be able to go out and do it. And uh, that's not for nothing. Um, we, are, we are a resource to a lot of companies that are looking for people. I put people in places all the time. I freelance people all the time. If you come in and you show me something, you can get put to work. I can promise you that. So not, not to say that you know toot our own horn, but it is a great class that does have a lot of value. If you're a motivated person, you know what you're doing and uh, you want to learn and you're cool because if you're a douche, then I'm not going to send you to anybody. Ryer, yeah. ba- Ryer barely made the cut.
0: <laughs> well, I... <I've, laughs> no,
1: you didn't have... Uh, I don't think you had
0: classes before. I
1: hadn't done them. I'd, I've been doing them for like 10 years now, but like I hadn't... I didn't no, do very I many re- at sub seven.
0: I remember when you... I did one or two and I was When you seven. first... Just uh, had Copeland Creative and I was still uh, with Mark I remember I'm just
1: talking about the douche card like you barely passed the douche card oh
0: I thought you meant that I no. I came to a class and barely passed no
1: you barely passed the douche cards. what I meant that's not true
0: <laughs> that's not true at all
1: alright guys peace <laughs>